0: I want to pick it up in Daniel 9, 19. I want to pick it up there because I I want to, first of all, remind us all about as Daniel is praying, the attitude that he brings to his prayer life is, is really key to him getting responses back from God and God working so through his prayer life. And the reason I say that is because you'll notice in verse 19 and even into verse 20, It's all about God's interests, not Daniel's. Notice he says, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Don't delay for your own sake, O my God. For your city and your people who are called by your name." While I was still speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my request before the Lord my God concerning his holy mountain. Yes, while I was still praying, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen previously in a vision, was approaching me in my state of extreme weariness around the time of the evening offering. He spoke with me, instructing me as follows. Daniel, I have now come to impart understanding to you. At the beginning of your request, a message went out, and I have come to convey it to you, for you are of great value in God's sight. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. Notice, though, first of all, the attitude that Daniel has as he prays. It's all about God's interests. It's exactly what Jesus said when he gave us a model prayer to pattern our prayer life after. He said, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's all about God's kingdom and His will. And, and when you and I pray in that way, we're going to get answers and receive things from God because it's for His glory and it's about His interest rather than our own. In fact, listen to these verses out of James. You don't have to turn there tonight because we don't have a lot of time. I got to get through a lot tonight, but listen to these verses. James says, where do the conflicts and where do the quarrels among you come from? Talking to Christians. Is this not, is it not from this, from your passions that battle inside you, you desire and you do not have? You murder and envy and you cannot obtain. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly so you can spend it on your own passions. So, James is saying that, you know, we've got to come in prayer with a proper attitude of, it's got to be about God. There's a bird in here. So in Daniel chapter 9, besides the attitude that David or that Daniel brought, notice in verse 20, the Bible says while he was still speaking and praying, I wanted to point out also that the word praying there means to intercede. And it reminds us of the privilege we have that obviously some of our prayer life is obviously bringing our own requests, our own needs and all of that to God. But we have the privilege of, as God's people, to intercede on behalf of others. And and I, I just wanted to touch on that because that's a huge part of our prayer life, or it should be. And And I want you to think along those lines about, is there someone that God wants you right now to be interceding on behalf of them to God? That's an important part of our prayer life. It's something that Daniel did. He didn't just pray for himself. He prayed and interceded and intervened for others. And then he goes on, and the thing that really struck Daniel was, you know, that while he was praying, God sent an answer to him. And so I want to go over in verse 22 that when Gabriel spoke with him, he says, Daniel, I have now come to impart understanding. The word understanding means a comprehension bringing insight and discernment. We talked about this last week, that understanding comes through prayer. That if I need to gain understanding, whether it's through Bible study that I'm doing and I'm just not quite comprehending and understanding and all of that, I think God encourages us to pray and it's through prayer that we gain insight and discernment and understanding. Sometimes through our prayers, just praying about things, by the time our prayers are over, our, our head is clear and, and we've got a better understanding of how we should be and how we should feel, how sh- we should deal with situations. It all comes through prayer. And, and many times as Christians, I think we miss out on a lot that God can give us and wants to give us through our prayer life, but we just don't pray enough. I mean, James even says, if you lack wisdom, ask of God and God will impart his wisdom to you. And again, we see this modeled here by Daniel. The other thing that struck me before we get into this prophecy tonight, this very important prophecy, is Gabriel says, I've come to convey it to you for you are of great value, literally a precious treasure in God's sight. It's also very interesting that these words in the Hebrew literally mean the heat of God. Gabriel says, Daniel, you are the heat of God. Now, think about that for a minute as to maybe what conclusions you want to draw from that. I I drew from that the idea that that also conveyed in the idea of heat is light. And I think it's the idea that Daniel, wherever he went, whatever he did, uh, he People knew that that he was connected to God and there was light that emanated and heat, if you will, from God or of God that emanated from Daniel everywhere he went. His presence literally made a difference everything that he did. And, And I think that's what God calls us to, that our presence would make a difference everywhere we go, and that we would be the light of God, if you will, the heat of God. And that's part of, I think, what brought uh, from God's own lips, through Gabriel, the, the idea that God uh, thinks you are a precious treasure, treasure, you are of great value, Daniel, to God, because of that. And I think God calls us to be the same. So then Gabriel finally says, "...therefore consider the message and understand the vision." Something I want to point out tonight, and I think I'll probably mention this Sunday if I can remember it, is this. That the study of prophecy is not so much to satisfy our curiosity about future events. God gives us prophecy so that we can enhance our spiritual capacity to handle the present. That's what it's about. So so often when people study prophecy they get so caught up in what's going to happen in the future But it's not really making a difference in how they live their lives today. And and even like Daniel, he had to go back and be a faithful servant of the kings that he was serving under. He could not even allow these great prophecies that God gave him to distract him from being a faithful servant to what God had called him to. But what God did expect is that these prophecies would actually show who God was in a greater way and the order that God has in this universe. And it would cause actually Daniel to be a better servant for God in the present by knowing the scope of prophecy that He was given. God does the same thing for us today. When God gives us these prophecies, it's not so much to satisfy our curiosity about the future. It is to enhance our spiritual capacity for the present. So with that said, we come to probably some of the most debated, misinterpreted, uh, verses in all the Bible. They are Daniel 9, 24 through 27. They are called the 70-week prophecy of Daniel. Now, we're not going to get every detail out of this tonight, but what I want to hopefully do is give you some foundational stuff that you can take and do your own study of Daniel 9, 24 through 27. It starts out with, 70 weeks have been determined concerning your people and your holy city. First of all, I want you to note this then has nothing to do with the church, which is where a lot of people go wrong when they interpret this. Daniel is a Jew and Gabriel says what I'm about to tell you concerns your people, Daniel, the Jewish people and your city, Jerusalem. So this helps us to begin to, in a sense, map out a proper interpretation of what Gabriel is given here to Daniel. The other thing is the phrase, 70 weeks have been determined, literally cut out by God and settled. God has cut out a portion of time in human history and laid it aside and said, this is what's going to take place in this chunk of history. And he's already cut it out, it's already settled. It reminds us that the Bible teaches us that God knows the days, how many days we're going to live. And he has cut them out and said... Jeff, here's how many days you're going to have. Now, obviously, I don't know how long I'm going to live, but God knows. He knew the day I was going to die before I was born. And God cut that portion out and said, Jeff, this is your life here on earth. God is doing the same thing here with the nation of Israel. There's 490 years that are significant to the nation of Israel. Now, some may say, how do you get 490 years out of 70 weeks? Well, the word weeks literally means uh, units of seven or weeks of years, and even liberal scholars that don't believe in the prophecies of Daniel uh, will tell you that it just makes no sense in the context to interpret this as seventy days, as seventy weeks, as seventy months, but rather as seventy sevens or four hundred and ninety years. Now, again, I'm going to give you a lot of stuff tonight. Don't be overwhelmed by it. Catch what you can and let God take care of the rest. Okay? But what I do want to start out with is this. Let's, let's first go back a little ways to how we even got to this point. For 490 years, okay? For, F-O-R, for 490 years... The Jews had neglected to observe the Sabbath year, not the Sabbath day, the Sabbath year. If you go back to the Old Testament, God not only told his people, I want you to work six days and rest on a seventh on a Sabbath and lay that aside. But he told his people, the nation of Israel... I want you to glean your fields and I want you to work for six years, but I want you to take every seventh year off and I want you to give the land a rest. I want you to give your animals a rest. I want you to the the Sabbath year was very important to God. There was a very good reason why he did this. Okay. so for four hundred and ninety years, the Jewish people basically ignored what God said. And they did not observe the Sabbath year every seven years for those 490 years. Well, that meant that they violated 70 Sabbath years. That is exactly why, in Daniel, the Jewish people were sent into Babylonian captivity for how long? 70 years. God said for every Year that you violated not observing that Sabbath year, you're going to spend a year in captivity. Because there's consequences to just blowing God off and not listening to what God says. Now, so you had 490 years in the past, which set up 70 years now of Daniel in the present, and then God is saying to Daniel, now in the future there's going to be another 490 years. And I'm going to do some things in those 490 years. And that's what I want to talk to you, Daniel, about through my servant, Gabriel. Now, one other sort of chart. If you're taking notes, this may help. This is broken down into three divisions, these 490 years. First of all, there is the first division, which is seven sevens or 49 years. Okay, that's the first division. Seven sevens. Doing your math tonight, right? Or 490 years. And you find that in Daniel nine twenty-five, And that was describing how long it would take to rebuild Jerusalem completely after it had been devastated. In verse 25, it says there will be a period of seven weeks. And that seven weeks is going to restore and rebuild Jerusalem Verse 25. In fact, it will again be built with plaza, the city hub, and the moat or the defenses, but in these stressful times. Verse 25. Now, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but this is describing, I believe, the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah describes the rebuilding of all of this stuff in Israel's history. But the total completion to get the whole city back took 49 years remember nehemiah was just about building the wall and how long it took to build the outer wall the entire city it took 49 years to rebuild jerusalem after the captivity was over so that's the first division second division 62 sevens or 434 years 62 sevens or 434 years. You also see this in verse 25. He says, after the period of seven weeks, there will be another period of 62 weeks of years. Alright? So that's a total of how many sevens? 62 and seven is 69. Good. And 69 sevens equal 483 years. Okay. So that means then up to this point, there's only one week left if you're going by 490 years. Now, let's go back then and pick it up. Well, you know what, let let me do the the last division and then I want to go back and you'll see by using this chart you've written down, I think, how this will help you. The last division is 1-7, which is seven years which is described in Daniel 9.27. He will confirm a covenant with many for one week of seven-year period, but in the middle of that week, three and a half years, He will bring sacrifices and offerings. All right, so you've got three divisions here. The first seven, 49 years, Jerusalem is rebuilt. The second group of seven, 62 sevens, was how much time would elapse after the rebuilding of Jerusalem before Messiah would come. And then there's a time gap. We're going to talk about that. And then the last seven is going to be what we call in the Bible the tribulation period. Again, this all centers around, remember, Daniel's people, the nation of Israel, and the city of Jerusalem. It has nothing to do with the church. Can I tell you that's why I am a pre-tribulational person? That's why I believe that the rapture is going to take place before the tribulation and the church is out of here because there is nothing about the church in these prophecies. God had His people. He had them for 483 years. He did that. He set that there. And then He took a break. And then He moved into the church age. He began to build His church, which is what we are a part of. But there's still that week out there that's hanging. And I believe that that seven-year period will be after the rapture and the church is gone, then God directs His attention back to the nation of Israel for that final seven-year period, you see. That's why I, I think the Bible clearly teaches that the church will not go through. And I, I could give many more scriptures of why I believe that, but again, it has to do with Daniel's people and the city of Jerusalem. So let's go back up to verse 24. 70 weeks have been determined concerning your people and your holy city. And then Daniel is given six infinitives by Gabriel of what God is going to accomplish throughout the end, uh, the rest of the time of history with the nation of Israel. He's going to put an end to Israel's rebellion against God once and for all. That's the first thing. Has that happened yet? No. Israel as a nation is still in rebellion against their Messiah. Second, he's going to bring sin to completion. The words mean to literally restrict the flow or movement or seal up sin. Has that happened yet with Israel? Nope. Now, to atone for iniquity. That means that God is going to, at some point in history, make a covering for sin through sacrifice so that that the Israel will be able to have a relationship with Him and live in harmony with Him. Now certainly He laid that down when Christ came and provided that atonement, but as a nation, they have not embraced that yet. So that's still future as well. To bring in perpetual righteousness refers to the fact that that mankind is going to forever live by God's standards, in this context, Israel. Has that happened yet? No. I don't think we live in a world of perpetual righteousness right now, can I tell you? (laughs) To seal up the prophetic vision means that everything that God has communicated about the future will be fulfilled and confirmed. Well, that hasn't happened yet either. And then to anoint a holy place literally means the hand of God will put a sacred place into place, which we're going to talk more about. In other words, getting a little ahead of myself, the implication is that in prophecy, there's coming a day where the temple will be rebuilt and the sacrifices for the people of Israel will be reinstituted, literally, in Jerusalem. By the way, they are already... Knitting the garments of the priests in Israel so that when the temple is rebuilt, all the utensils and everything is in place for the reinstitution of the sacrificial system. All that stuff is already being done behind the scenes so that once it is all laid in place, they're not going to have to spend a lot of time with all of that. So then Gabriel says to Daniel, Know and understand... In other words, become very familiar with the timing of these events to follow the assembling of these pieces in an orderly fashion. Alright? So here it is. Very fascinating. God tells Daniel, From the issuing of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until an anointed one, a prince, arrives, there will be a period of seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. Do you get what God is saying through Gabriel to Daniel? He's telling Daniel that the people of Israel should have known exactly when Messiah, Jesus Christ, was going to show up on the earth. Because if they did the proper calculations of what Daniel has been given by Gabriel... If you take 483 years from the time that Artaxerxes in Nehemiah chapter 2 issued a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Jesus Christ arrived on the earth and presented himself as the Messiah, guess how many years that was? 483 years. In fact, if you ever want to read a fascinating book by a guy that's already done this, over a century ago, a guy by the name of Sir Robert Anderson wrote a book. I think it was called The Coming Prince. He was, a, he was a really smart guy. And basically, he took it down to the calendar and adjusted the calendar and all that and brought it down to the very day that the day that Jesus Christ rode the donkey into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and presented himself to the nation was exactly to the day, 483 years after the issuing of the decree. Now think about that. In other words, God basically told His people, you should know exactly when the Messiah was coming. And you missed it. And you had no excuse for it. It's not like us today as the church living in a, in a time where we know the rapture is supposed to happen, but we don't know exactly when. By the way, May 21st isn't going to you know work out for those people and they're going to have egg on their face. Because the Bible clearly says we're not going to know the exact day. But, but don't miss this. For the nation of Israel, God gave them the exact time frame that they could be looking for their Messiah. In fact, I want you to go to a fascinating verse that maybe some, you've never seen it this way. I want you to go over to a verse in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus is talking. Luke chapter 19. I want to begin in verse 41. Luke 19 verse 41. This is after Jesus basically has been rejected by the nation. And when Jesus approached and saw the city of Jerusalem, he wept over it, saying, if you had only known on this day, even you, the things that make for peace between you and God, but now they are hidden from your eyes. So the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you, surround you and close in on you from every side. They will demolish you, you and your children within your walls, and they will not leave with... In you, one stone on top of another. He was predicting in 70 AD when the Roman emperor Titus came in with the Roman army and basically leveled Jerusalem and not one stone was left upon another. But notice the very last phrase of this, verse 43. Because you did not recognize, what? The time of your visitation from God. Wow! You ever seen that verse before? Jesus is saying, you should have known exactly when I was coming if you would have paid attention into the prophecies of Daniel chapter 9. Because from the issuing of the decree of Artaxerxes in Nehemiah chapter 2 till when I came, it was going to be 69 weeks of years, 483 years. You should have known to be looking for me. Why do you think that the wise men from... The Far East that were influenced by Daniel were looking for Messiah to come and saw his star because they were expecting him to come at that time because they had done the calculations. But not the people of God. No, they were smarter than that. They didn't need to consult the Word of God. They were the people of God, right? They'll figure it out on their own. It's amazing what Daniel is sharing here with us. So, with that said, notice then the Bible also says that after the anointed prince arrives, again, uh, then in verse 26, after the 62 weeks and obviously the 7 weeks prior, also an anointed one will be cut off. He's describing there, I believe, Jesus' crucifixion and death. The words cut off mean a violent act, Literally the execution of a criminal. That's what the words mean. And that's exactly what Jesus was crucified as. A criminal. That's why he was crucified. It was reserved for criminals. And have nothing. Now this is a very interesting phrase. It literally means that even though Jesus the son of God came and gave his life that if you and I were looking at what he did and and the results of it from strictly a human perspective it wouldn't look like he accomplished very much because I mean, remember as a nation the nation of Israel rejected him as their messiah and he didn't have a lot of go you know followers around the time of the crucifixion It would have looked like, here's the Son of God, the Messiah who came here to earth, lived 33 years, and didn't really accomplish very much. Obviously, we know that to be different. Because sometimes what we see or what we think we perceive humanly, there's so much more underneath the surface. Now he goes on then, as for the city and the sanctuary, the people of the coming prince will destroy them. His end will come speedily like a flood. Now, I think, again, I know this gets confusing, but I think now, obviously, he's not talking about the Jewish people. The Jewish people aren't going to destroy the city and the sanctuary. So who's the people he's talking about there? I think he's talking about the Romans, and the coming prince is the one who comes out of the revived Roman Empire, which then you're talking about the who? The Antichrist. And his end, the Antichrist, will come speedily like a flood. Until the end of the war that has been decreed, there will be destruction. Then he goes on in verse 27 to say, Now, as also for this last division of 490 years, this last week, Here's how you're going to know that the tribulation or that last seven-year period has started. Here is the monumental event that will mark the beginning of the 70th week. And God gives us a specific thing. He says the Antichrist will confirm a covenant with many for one week. That's what starts the final seven-year period. You see, that's where the Jews, unlike... Us in the church age, we, we don't know exactly when Jesus is coming back in the rapture. But for the Jews, they should have known exactly when their Messiah was to come the first time. And they should know exactly when this last seven year period that God had laid out and cut out for them as a nation, when it's going to start. It's going to start when this coming prince confirms a covenant with many for that one seven year period. But then the Bible goes on to say in the middle of that week or seven year period, which is three and a half years, he will bring sacrifices and offerings to a halt which is exactly what the Bible says in other places, like Revelation. He will allow the Jews... Again, the implication is the temple will have to be rebuilt, the Levitical sacrifices will have to start again, and these will all start, and then in three and a half years, he will say, no more. And that's what separates the first three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation from the last three and a half years. By the way, I have to respectfully disagree with many who basically say that the first three and a half years aren't really the great tribulation. I, I'm sorry, I don't get that. If you read the book of Revelation, there are three of the seven judgments, the the, the bowls and, and the trumpets, and and the two of those three sets of judgments take place in the first three and a half years. I don't know how you can say that's not tribulation. Uh, to me, that's a lot of tribulation. The only set of judgments in the book of Revelation that's in the last three and a half years are the bowl judgments. Everything else takes place in the first three and a half years. I think it's a bad time that the church is not going to be a part of. That's my own opinion. And then he goes on to say, though notice how he wraps this up very quickly. He says, on the wing of these abominations by the Antichrist will come one who destroys. By the way the word why he uses the word wing is that that word ri- literally means the extreme the outer edge talking about the wing of something the au- so the, the antichrist is going to bring extreme abominations the word abomination means what is detestable in God's sight and he comes he's going to destroy he's going to cause spiritual devastation and desolation on the earth until Until, Gabriel says to Daniel, the decreed end is poured out on the one who destroys. And God is in control. He will bring to an end the Antichrist's grip on the earth through an act of divine judgment. Done. And that's the end of that final seven-year period. So, I know we've covered a lot here tonight. I have one more thing, but I just, again, want to go back. So God said to Daniel... You ask about your people. You were praying about Israel, about your nation, and what was going to happen in the future. So I sent Gabriel to you to give you this insight. I have cut out 490 years in the future. Out of those 490 years, there was a, a 7... Seven period of 49 years, which Jerusalem was going to have to be completely rebuilt after that 62 sevens or 434 years were going to take place, which is going to bring us right up to the Messiah coming and presenting himself to the nation of Israel. Obviously, he was going to be rejected. Obviously, he was going to be cut off and suffer a violent death. Then after that, there's that other seven year period that hangs out there. And there's a time gap between, obviously, when Jesus came, died, rose from the dead, ascended, then, obviously, the church age started, and God put His 490-year dealings with Israel on hold, and it's still on hold, because that seven-year period that we're talking about, the Great Tribulation, is yet to happen in the future. Now, I want to point this out, because this is very important in Bible interpretation, Many people, another thing that causes them confusion when they come to Daniel chapter 9 and try to make sense of this is the time gap. Well, how do you know there's a time gap here type of thing? Well, if you study prophetic, let's say, passages of Scripture, there's always time gaps that you and I take for granted because we just know the difference through studying it and through the context. Let me give you an example. You don't have to turn there because we don't have time. I'm going to take you back to a very familiar verse in the book of Isaiah where this verse talks about obviously a verse that we apply to the first coming of Christ. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, 6. We believe that's talking about, obviously, Jesus when He came. Now, notice the very next verse, verse 7. His dominion will be vast. He will bring immeasurable prosperity. He will rule on David's throne and over David's kingdom, establishing it and strengthening it by promoting justice and fairness from this time forward and forevermore. Has that happened yet? No. So there's a time gap between Isaiah 9-6 and Isaiah 9-7. And God just knows that if we would take time to look at that, we would understand this verse deals with this time period, that verse is dealing with something yet to come. Let me give you one more, and I promise I'll I'll close, but this one to me is the most fascinating in all the Bible. Go to Luke chapter 4 for a moment. I want you to see a message that Jesus gives. And keep Isaiah, but go to Isaiah 61. So Luke 4 and Isaiah 61, we'll try to do this together. Jesus in Luke chapter 4 is coming into the synagogue. Oh, my pages are stuck. I hate that when that happens. I can't get to Luke chapter 4. All right. I'm telling you, it's just one thing after another. And my my fingers are so cold. All right. (laughs) I can't turn the page. Luke chapter 4. Notice this. In verse 16. Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. It's Isaiah 61, the passage we're going to look at in just a moment. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Notice what he says. He's quoting from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and the regaining of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then He wrote up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. He stopped in mid-sentence of Isaiah 61. Why? Well, look at Isaiah 61 for a moment. Look at why he did that. Because if you'll notice, up until the very place where he read, that is describing his ministry when he first came to earth. That, that's what he's describing there, up to the point of to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But notice what it goes on to say after it says that. Then it says the day, if you know Isaiah 61 verse 2, What's the very next part of that phrase? The day when our God will seek vengeance. To console all who mourn. Guess what? That hasn't happened yet. Time gap. Time gap between what Jesus said. Jesus basically is saying... This is me. This is happening now. But I'm not going to read any further in Isaiah because if I did, that's for some time in the future. So I'm stopping right in mid-verse. Uh, that, that there's no clear passage of Scripture that shows time gap in prophecy like what Jesus did in Luke chapter 4. Here's what I'm doing now. I'm not going to tell you about what I'm going to do in the future because there's a time gap between these of who knows how long. So I realize there's a time gap between obviously Daniel's description of the Messiah coming and being cut off and then all of a sudden he starts talking about this coming prince who's going to confirm a covenant and all this. And But remember something. Part of the reason why God could not give him an exact time period for that is because if he did, then you and I would know exactly when Jesus was coming back. And in order to keep that hidden, he could not give Daniel an exact time period of how long it would be from that period until the confirmation of the covenant. We could have figured that out just like the Jews should have figured out exactly when Jesus was coming in to present himself as Messiah. Now, folks, here's what I'm going to say. Go home and shut your brain off a little bit. If I'll say a couple things, if you can get Daniel 9, 24 through 27, even a little bit and come to some kind of understanding of that, there is nothing in the Bible that's going to be any more difficult to wrap your mind around than this. So I, I want to say that to encourage you. Okay. This is probably one of the most difficult passages in the Bible to tackle. So we've done that tonight and we're done with it. We're moving on to chapter 10 next week. And and I, I want to say this. Hopefully you got something to be able to go with tonight, but don't get discouraged by not getting it all. It, it's too much for me to wrap my mind around at one time. I have to take it in pieces in chunks, but it's all there. At least as much as needs to be to give us the understanding that we need. And especially, again, to give Daniel the understanding that he wanted about his people. The nation Israel and the city of Jerusalem. Now, I want to do this before we wrap it up and pray. Next week, I want to encourage you to come back and not be like... Oh, I don't want to go back in here anymore, Daniel. Don't forget, we've only got three chapters of Daniel left. So we've got three Tuesdays left, and then we're going to be in Revelation. But these three chapters of Daniel, next week, the most unique chapter in the Bible. And I'm not just saying that to try to get people to come out. It is the most unique chapter. You know, there's other passages in the Bible where it's like you go, well, that's taught somewhere else, or or that principle, I can find that Daniel chapter 10 is the most unique chapter in the Bible because there's nowhere else in the Bible that it talks about the things that it does other than in Daniel chapter 10. Um, It talks about the angelic and demonic influence upon nations, governmental leaders, governments, people in the world, what's behind the things that we see. And so it's a fascinating chapter. I hope you'll come out and spend some time with me in Daniel chapter ten next week. Thank you, guys. Man, between the cold and the bird and Daniel nine, but God's good. Amen. 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 I I'll say this and then I'll shut up and pray. One of the things that I think you see in Daniel chapter 9, at least, that I was so impressed with, was how, and, and the Bible does speak to how orderly God is. He is a God of order. 490 years had significance to God, and He broke it down, and this is going to be for this. And He did it so that His people would have no excuse not to know that their Messiah was coming, and they missed it Anyway. My point with that to me, I think that God was trying to say, I've given you all this so that you can understand, so that again, you can enhance your spiritual capacity for the present, so that you can walk with me closer. So don't let the prophecies of what's going to happen in the future keep us from being the people of God that we need to be today. That's the most important thing. That's the most important thing. God needs us to rise up today and be men and women of God like never before. That's what this should drive us to more than anything else. All right, let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for being such a God of detail. And even, Lord, in what details you revealed to us, Lord, we we realize it wasn't all there. It was as much as we needed, and especially the nation of Israel, needed to understand this plan you had of 490 years that you carved out for them in human history. And the sad thing is, God, that as precise as you were in giving them the exact time frame that Jesus, their Messiah, would come, the majority of them missed it. They missed it because they tried to figure it out on their own without your Word. And your Word is is a light unto our path, a lamp unto our feet. And if we try to walk one day without your word, we get lost real easy. That's why the Bible compares us to sheep. Because sheep are always going astray without staying close to their shepherd. And so God, we pray tonight, That each of us would recommit ourselves to staying close behind our shepherd and following Him closely and getting into the Word so that we can gain the insight, the discernment, the understanding that we will need in the days in which we live. Because we have specific challenges that we're going to face as the people of God in these last days. And if we don't know what's really going on, then God, we're going to get caught up in other things. And we're going to get distracted by the lies of the enemy. And so God, help us to stay on track. Help us to stay on the right path. And the only way we can do that is by continuing to be in Your Word and following it every day. Help us to love Your Word. Help us to obey Your Word. Help us to desire Your Word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, folks, so much. God bless you. Have a great rest of the week.